turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. This is Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. Each week, Wendy brings resources and information to help guide you through those next steps for your elderly parent or loved one. Now, here's Wendy Jones with this week's guest. Good morning and welcome to Next Steps for Seniors, the program that prepares for tomorrow, today. And each and every week, we do our best to bring information, to bring resources, to help you, to help guide you. Because the million-dollar question, just so everybody knows, is, yes, we all pass away someday. We don't live forever. Everyone thinks we live forever, and nobody wants to talk about the future. But guess what we do on this program? We prepare you for the future. So that's why today we have a guest in the studio. Her name is Dr. Katherine Cox, and she is from Rochester Academic Family Medicine. And she's a primary care physician. And I'll tell you, um, listeners, I think it's really important to understand the value that primary care physicians bring to your life and why you need one. And I don't know about you listeners, but my doctor is like my best friend. Like I see my doctor all the time and I constantly am relying on my doctor because as we age, guess what? We get almost closer to our doctors than we do to our friends because every time we're with our friends, we talk about our doctors and our health. So that's why today we're having a doctor on the program and I'm I'm very excited because I'm going to give you a couple of the topics we're talking about and one, the biggest in the beginning, is going to be about advanced care planning and what we need to know. Uh, also, CPR, big topic, and we need to have a discussion on that. And later in the program, we're going to be talking about the five wishes, because there are five. And I'm sure you're going to want to know what those are. But stay tuned, and you can hear that. Dr. Katherine Cox, thank you for being here today. I'm very blessed to have you in the studio. Thank you so much, Wendy, for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. So you, one of the things that we were just talking before we came online was about CPR. And it's it's a big topic, I think. You know, there's a lot of training going on right now because it's spring and people are getting out again. And 
you have some knowledge with this this topic, doctor, and I'm I'm curious too. And I know you work in the hospitals as well. Yes. So she's you know kind of all over in the community. She has her own family practice, and then is also in the hospitals. So share with us a little about. What what's the view on CPR? Right. So what I find very fascinating is, you know, when we're watching television or movies and you see some, a CPR in those circumstances, it's often successful, right? So I feel like that has portrayed um, an unrealistic expectation of what CPR really means. Um, so CPR is performed when somebody's heart stops or they stop breathing, um, and we use attempts to resuscitate them. This usually involves chest compressions and then some medicines that will help restart the heart. And what I do find interesting about this is that in one study, 70 people were asked how often they think that CPR is successful, and they said 75% of the time. I would say that. In yeah. my head, like not knowing anything, right. I would say, I would guess it would be 75 because that's absolutely because that's what we see on TV. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the reality is, is that if we're looking at all age groups, only about one in five people who receive CPR are going to leave the hospital. But when we're talking about our geriatric population, it's even less than that. So one in 10 for all geriatric wow. uh, populations right, are going to be leaving the hospital. But then if you factor in things like organ failure or advanced cancer or other chronic illnesses that have, have reached their terminal stage, it's really less than 2% are going to make a meaningful recovery from that. I would never guess that. Right. Honestly. Right. I 100% thought it was much higher. Right. Right. And it, it, it's unfortunate, I think, that that perception's there in some ways because... <clears throat> In reality, when we stop breathing or our heart stops, that's a pretty major and significant event for our body. And the repercussions of that can be um, very, very great um, and great burdens on patients and their families. Well, I'll tell you, as I always look at things, the glass half full. So mm -hmm. anyone who's listening to this program who has had CPR and is now breathing and alive now yes. you know that you're, you're, you're a miracle. <laughs> you are a miracle. <laughs> Absolutely. Because the percentage was quite low. Right. Um, and, and listeners, I just want to say, don't stop that from giving CPR, right? Absolutely. If you're in a situation, you've right. got to give it everything you have in, in all situations. But very interesting mm -hmm. fact to know. Right. And I will say this too, because um, it is a very brutal event. You know, if we're, if we're doing it the right way, we're, we're breaking ribs and, and we're, it, it's pretty significant. It can be very hard to, to watch your, your loved one go through that for sure. So it's interesting. We're talking about this. I was just with a friend last weekend and their mom was, it was her 90th birthday oh, and the mom birthday. was, the mom was choking oh. and three people tried to to do the Heimlich mm -hmm. on her. And do you know the last person who did it was able to do it, but broke three ribs. So oh. as soon as you said that, it made me think of that. But it, any CPR, Heimlich, all mm -hmm. of those, especially on the elderly. They're brutal. It's brutal. But they're alive. And she You're is right. alive right now. Amen. So I'm grateful too. I am so, absolutely grateful. So because of your experience with this, um, I know you have a lot of knowledge on and, you know, this is my motto. We talk about the things nobody wants to talk about right. on this program. I love that. <laughs> and one of the things is advanced care planning. Mm -hmm. And because you just mentioned the CPR, I want to move into this a little bit because tell us, you know, tell us what advanced care planning is first. Absolutely. So advanced care planning is is kind of a wide, wide encompassing term. 
It really is planning for what you want, what your wishes are, and should you not be able to make those known because of some type of medical event or condition. Um, it's planning for your future. And I'm so passionate about this because in medicine, um, even as doctors, we're not well equipped um, and, un- and often uncomfortable talking about frailty and aging and our own mortality. And I think a lot of that is because it represents almost like a failure of our med- medicine, of our modern medicine. Um, but the reality is, is from the day that we are born, we're slowly all aging and dying, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about making sure when people reach the end of their life that their wishes are carried through and that they understand, um, fully what those wishes may entail. I I agree with you a hundred percent because there has been numerous times when families don't realize and even calls that come into my office, Mm -hmm. what I say to them is, is there more good days than bad? And Mm -hmm. usually when they say no, there's more bad days than good. Mm -hmm. That's when I say, okay, we need to prepare. Right. Right. Because, and, and, but families aren't thinking that they're not, they don't know. Right. Right. So this is exactly why you're here. Amen. (laughs) And I think too, when you have someone that's going through some type of illness or some type of medical event, your, your eyes are on the prize, right? You're like, what do we need to do to get better? And sometimes those things that we're doing to get better are causing harm and suffering. Such a solid point. Mm -hmm. So advanced care planning is available through where? Through the physician, through, you tell me. Well, what's interesting is, is anyone has the ability to um, do this on their own, but I do think that it's an important topic to have um, with your primary care doctor. We do this. This is a Medicare requirement at the Medicare annual wellness visit, um, which we have a lot to to do in those visits. Often we're going through everything. And then, you know, at the end it's, it it often can turn into, okay, well, if your heart stops or you stop breathing, do you, do you want to be resuscitated? And do you have an advanced care directive? Um, which we'll talk about those more late, uh, later in the segment. Um, but really, this is something that people can be thinking about right now. You know, anybody, anybody in adult medicine really could be thinking about this. Even somebody that's going to college, for example, just listing their emergency contact, you know, that, that could be seen as some type of form of advanced care planning, um, all the way through formal advanced directives with an elder lawyer. Well, one of the things that is very common is, and we hear this a lot too in the office, is I don't know if I should put my mom or dad on a feeding tube or not. So isn't that in the advanced care directives as well? Absolutely. Whether or not you want, because if you're in a coma or you're out and you Mm -hmm. can't understand what's happening, someone else, preferably your POA, power of attorney, is making that decision for you. And when that happens, they're like, oh, I wish I knew if mom would would want me to do tube feeding. Because Feeding is what, I mean, food keeps us alive, right? Right. I have lots to say about feeding tubes for sure. Um, but what I what I will say is absolutely. So this could also be seen. Advanced care planning is a way to ease burden on your family members or your surrogates or your medical decision makers, your healthcare proxies, whoever we are having to go to. Um, and even just having talked to them about what you would want in those circumstances can be just so helpful to families when they're in these positions to make these decisions. As far as feeding tubes. Yes. You said you had a lot to say. <laughs> I now, do. 
we were all at our at the edge of our seats. We have yes. a minute and thirty so seconds. What is interesting about that is is peg tubes, um, which are feeding tubes that go in. They they really do not improve outcomes, and I think that's important to know. There are very uh, the few circumstances where they can, and that's people receiving radiation to the head and neck that can't swallow. People that have stroke induced dysphagia, but where I often see this discussion happening are in critically ill patients that have been in the ICU and, un- and sedated and unable to eat, or in people with advancing dementia. And those absolutely do not reduce um, morbidity, mortality, aspiration events. They do not prolong life, but they do increase suffering. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, right? And nobody wants to oh, not feed their is, family. I, I gotta say it's one of one of the top mm-hmm. five most difficult decisions absolutely. when you're when you have a loved one that's in that position. Right. And it happens quite frequently, I'll be honest. Right. And you know, obviously there's so many people too, because you're talking to the siblings, you're talking mm-hmm. to the spouse, you're talking to and who actually has to make that ultimate decision is that power of attorney. Absolutely. The person that that you uh, and, and listeners, this is just a, a quick plug. <laughs> Please make sure you have that person. Absolutely. And that they are trusted by you fully. Because I've also had that happen. Mm-hmm. That's always tricky. <laughs> There's a daughter right now where I've got the, the, the mom is like, I just don't think she should be. I'm like, okay, well, we need to do this right. now. Well, let's not wait any longer. Absolutely. But these are the discussions and more that we need to have. So I appreciate we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few minutes. And let's remember... Five Wishes is coming shortly. You're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Preparing for Tomorrow, Today. And our topic today is really a PCP. We have Dr. Katherine Cox with us, and we're talking through why it's so important to have these discussions with your primary care physician, in case you were wondering what PCP meant, and also what we need to know in regards to this as we age. Because guess what? We're all aging. Amen. It happens to everybody. So true. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, everyone. Absolutely this is not. actually a good thing. Because you know why? We're wiser. <laughs> I love it. My, my favorite patients by far are my geriatric patients. And you said you do a lot of geriatric patients, even though you're family medicine. So you right. take a little bit of everything. I do. I womb to the tomb. I say diaper to diaper. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> That's cute. So we wanted to move in in this segment to talk a little bit about those five wishes. So it's interesting because I think this is a discussion you want to have with your family, right? Absolutely. Your spouse, your kids. And we're coming up on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. So like you're going to be listening to this program and you're probably going to be like, oh, maybe I should should be doing this. Happy Mother's Day. Let's talk about death and dying. Yeah. Yes. So share with us what some of those wishes are. So the five wishes is one of my favorite tools for advanced care planning. And what this is, um, this is actually a legally binding document in the state of Michigan that can serve as your advanced directive. I always tell my patients um, at their, their Medicare annual wellness visits, it's not a bad idea to meet with an elder lawyer if you want to get these things. Um, but this, this will also suffice. We're very fortunate in the state of Michigan that this will suffice. Um, and what this does is it's a document that goes through um a patient's wishes for their end of life and the first one is the person i want to make care decisions for me when i can't so this is listing your healthcare proxy um the kind and number 2 the kind of medical treatment i want or don't want 
Um, and this really goes through the nitty gritty, you know, not just where we've already talked about CPR, but what about all the things that happened before, before then? So that could be things like ICU admissions, pressors, if somebody's blood pressure is low because of sepsis, intubation, um, and, and things like that. So how feeding tubes and all these things, um, it really goes through each one. And the patient is able to list what that means to them and what their wishes are. The third step is how comfortable I want to be. Um, the fourth is how I want people to treat me. And fifth is what I want my loved ones to know. And I think that's probably one of the most important segments, right, um, of this of this advanced directive. Because we want to leave a legacy. We want to leave Absolutely. what's important to us or what we've learned in our lives right. and share it with the next generation. Amen. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And this is available, listeners, actually online. Absolutely. And as Dr. Cox said, if you get two signatures on that, it's considered a binding. Absolutely. Yep. It can't be. Unfortunately, this is something that needs to be completed outside of the, the our office. So it has to be somebody in the community. And yeah, if you've had two witnesses to this, then it's, it's considered in a full advance directive in the state of Michigan. Excellent. Well, good to know. Yeah. And if you need a copy, go online and print that off. I'm looking right at it and it's not that big. It's like maybe <laughs> 10 pieces of paper, but yeah. it's worth it. Absolutely. It's worth it to have your wishes followed. Right. And I, if you don't want to be on a feeding tube, you not only do you have to tell everybody that, you have to write that down for people that's right. so that they're aware. Very important. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I think that's excellent information. So let's talk a little bit about as we age, one of the big things that we see here is socialization. Mm -hmm. And that's so why I, I enjoy what we do because we actually move people, we help them move into and find the right assisted living. I love it. Or independent living or whatever it is, you know, depending right. on their needs. But because we know all the different places throughout the whole state of Michigan, literally, mm -hmm. someone comes to us and tells us what they're looking for, we can narrow down that search for them and help them. That's beautiful. So they're not driving around to all these different places or trying to find it online, which is also frustrating. So that's why we're here. And when I think of socialization, I right away think of people sitting at home by themselves. Maybe they lost their spouse and they're lonely. Right. Isn't it important to be with people? So tell us what you know and share the importance of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I would say when we're talking about mental health in the geriatric population, the most important element absolutely is socialization. Um, a big contributor to geriatric depression um, and suicidality and all of these things is social isolation. Um, and I shared with you earlier, if we're looking at the whole population, the highest rates by far of completed suicides are in white elderly males, um, particularly those who are in rural communities, who are socially isolated, who have complex medical illness um, or, and gun access. White elderly males. Right. Right. It's, it's significant. It's a significant portion, um, the, the highest um, of all the populations. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why that is. Mm -hmm. Is it carrying the stress of the world? Men do feel more, um, I don't know what the word is. It's hard to grapple with aging. You know, I think, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful time, but it's a, it's a challenging time as well. Yeah. And they do feel obligated to, to take care of people, right? Take care of right. their wife and their children. Right. And if they don't feel like they're doing that successful... I can't imagine. Right. But yes, thank you for sharing that statistic. I would never guess that. I know. It, it's a hard one for sure. And and I do think a big um, remedy to that is, is socialization. 
you just got to find your people. Um, and we're fortunate, I think, in, in Rochester and Oakland County that we have all the resources that we do. I love the work that you guys do here. Um, we work out together all the time. Um, and then things like the OPC, they, I, Cannot believe all that. I can't wait to join. <laughs> I'm counting down the days till I turn 50 so I can sign up because the activities there are just, it's amazing. Their daily schedule is insane. And there's so many opportunities to find your people, whatever that may be. I do have some interesting patient experiences, though, with people that, um, for example, um, on the autism spectrum that don't particularly like to interact with people. So those are always very challenging situations, people that don't like that are more introverted, right, that don't get their energy from being around people. And I think in those um, those circumstances, pets can be a really beautiful thing. Great point. Yeah, I mean, excellent point. Absolutely. My mother-in-law, this is a great story. My mother-in-law who lost uh, my father-in-law was just spiraling down. Mm -hmm. And we, everyone was like, oh my goodness. And we were, felt like we were over there all the time. She right. didn't think that, but we thought that. Right. So we got a puppy and I'm oh, telling you, it's so changed, healing. <laughs> it changed the entire world. I love yes, that. I think that's a great point. Pets right. are amazing. They really are. They really are. And and you can, they can bring so much joy and so much company to um, a lonely geriatric person. Hmm. Man's best friend. Amen. And just for the record, this is an important fact. You can bring your pet with you into an independent or assisted living. I love that. So <laughs> don't be like, oh, I can't move because I can't bring my pet. You can. It can happen. It can happen. Of course, you want to be on the on the main floor. You want to have an access to get outside. There's a lot of things to look at, but it's possible just so you know. All right. So moving into mental health, what other things should we know um, as far as an impact on mental health. I mean, you, you brought up a great point with the white male men. I mean, mm -hmm. we definitely need to be careful on that. You've seen more of this, I'm assuming, since COVID. I mean, we all kind oh of went through. It was a hard time. It was a very hard time for all of us, I think, but especially our, our geriatric population. This was the, the most at-risk group, right? So you really had to socially isolate. Um, I will say that... Um, now that we are, we have the vaccine, we have um, all I'm these treatment we're on the other side. That's yeah. what I'm just believing. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I feel that too, because just, you know, rounding in the hospital, I, I haven't had a COVID patient in, in months, and which is wonderful. I mean, it was a really hard time for us all. Well, we're not even wearing masks anymore in right. the hospital. So right. you know, we've come a long way. Uh, yes, it's I been... was just in a hospital yesterday. I just have to tell a quick story because there was a woman that was there for three months could not walk and could not talk. Mm. Yesterday, she started talking for the Amazing. first time. So God does miracles. Amen. And physicians are a blessing. And all the medical people that surrounded her for three months and stood by her side, it was an incredible opportunity to see. Yeah. I love those moments. I love those moments. And we absolutely have to celebrate those. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, dementia. I know you mentioned that briefly, or should we ta we should talk, probably talk about that in the next segment because it's a big topic. That is a big one. That is a big you, one. You your practice, and we're going to talk about this too in the next segment. You know, when you call in, if you don't have a PCP, I, listeners, I think it's important that you know that you can call. In fact, can you share your phone number with Absolutely. our Absolutely. So we're, we're always accepting new, new patients at Rochester Academic Family Medicine. Our phone number is 248-650-6301. We have a lovely group of doctors there. We're a residency teaching clinic as well. Um, and we love primary care. Yeah, absolutely. That's 248 650 6301 
just in case you didn't catch it the first yeah. time. <laughs> it's hard when we're, when you're doing radio because you're talking so fast, but sometimes <laughs> when you're writing, it's like, oh, we got to write that lower, slower. Okay, so I am thrilled to have you here, and I know there's a lot of information, but listeners, if you're interested, if you don't have a PCP or you need one, that's the number to call. And we're going to talk about what to look for in a PCP too, because there are some things that like you're learning from Dr. Cox right now, her knowledge base of what is available for our geriatric patients is amazing. You're listening to The Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. And let me just add, be sure, next steps, number four seniors, like us on Facebook. Facebook is a huge way that we communicate, and we also have a YouTube channel now, Next Steps for Seniors. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, preparing for tomorrow, today. And that is our topic. And we right now are with Dr. Katherine Cox. And if you missed the first two segments, this information is so vital and very necessary. But one of the things we want to talk about now is what and how you do find the best PCP. What would you say, doctor, would be like your top three things to look for when you're looking for a primary care physician if you don't already have one? So I think the first thing is to find your person, um, somebody that you can trust that you, you know, get that feeling because this is, you know, I think I'm biased, but your most important doctor that you're going to have that knows everything about you. So I would say if you you must find somebody that you feel like you can trust. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is finding someone that is going to listen, that's um, empathetic, compassionate to your needs, um, and is willing to work with you through all the complicated medical journeys that we all eventually undergo. Um, and then the third thing I would say is somebody that you f- feel has a adequate knowledge um, of geriatric care, because the reality is, is that most people's primary care physicians in the geriatric population are not going to be geriatricians. There is an incredible shortage and incredible need for, for geriatric medicine, because that is really a very specialized. Um, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is so much uh, listeners that as we age, that changes yes. in our bodies. And to me personally, I've been in the pharmacy business for years. Uh, I was told the average number of meds that a senior is on is like 15 or something like that. Absolutely, And it just breaks my heart because there's a lot, there's a whole list of of meds that geriatric patients aren't supposed to have. Right. The beers criteria. The beers Mm -hmm. list. And Mm -hmm. so many people don't even know that. Exactly. So it, you do need a physician that really understands the geriatric population. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm so passionate about this and, and we are a residency teaching clinic. So this is something that I, um, we all strive to teach our residents as they go forward to, because the reality is, is that we're all going to slowly become geriatricians, whether we like it or not, because our population's increasingly aging, which I think is wonderful because that's my favorite patient. <laughs> yes. And they're wise. Let's yes. just go back Amen. to that for a second. I, I so, agree. So talk to us a little bit about the medications. Yes. And, yes. So this is known um, when a patient is on too many medicines, um, is known as polypharmacy. And this is a really, it's, it's a huge issue. Um, and the reason being, I think, is as doctors, we treat we, we treat illness, right? But then when we shift into um, the geriatric population, once you turn 65, a lot of things change. For example, just for diabetes, um, 
We love tight control before the age of 65. We want your A1C to be less than 7, ideally less than 6.5%. But when you turn um, 65, that goal then changes to 7 to 8%. And because what we have found is that when we overly control the blood sugar in elderly patients, we cause harm. We increase mortality. We increase hypoglycemia and falls and, and, and overall death. So we really need to be um, a little bit more lax, I think, in the way that we treat our geriatric patients. Um, another example would be blood pressure. If somebody's hypotensive when they stand, they can very easily fall. So our goals change there as well um, once you turn 60 to 150 over 90. So it, it is tricky. It is tricky. And then you have to balance on top of that people that have um, complex medical conditions like heart failure where the goals may be different. Um, and it is it is hard, but I will say that it is um, well within every patient's right to have a physician review their medication list. This is something that should be done at least once a year by your primary care doctor just to see if there's anything that we need to um, decrease or stop or um, just revise. Well, and I just want to add that usually when you have a lot of different doctors too, right? Because you have a cardiologist Mm -hmm. and you have a neurologist and you have a, right? Absolutely. So they're all giving you different medications. It's messy. It's messy. Um, And that's all the more reason to have a excellent primary care physician that you trust that can keep tabs on. And it's hard. I will say this. When there's so many cooks in the kitchen, um, it can be very challenging. And if you have somebody that does have some memory impairment or or a dementia, it it, it can be a nightmare. So, well, and I do believe that I look at the PCP as like the overseer, right? right? That's your person. That's Absolutely. your person that's looking into all these other little things. And right. when you have a loved one that goes into the hospital and then you've got five different specialists going in to see them, the last thing they say to you when you leave that hospital is follow up with your primary care yes. physician in seven days. <laughs> Absolutely. I've heard it a thousand times. Right. And guess what people don't do? Follow up with their primary <laughs> care physicians. <laughs> and, and, and you need to, because guess what? It's that, per- she's the, that doctor is the point person. Right. Male, female, doesn't matter. Your PCP is the point. And, and all the other things fall into it. And if you're only seeing your cardiologist every year and you're not seeing your PCP, it's a problem. I agree. I agree. I, I do think that just for that reason alone, to keep tabs on everything that's going on with your specialists and then all the medication changes that can happen during a hospitalization, it is just so vital that we're all on the same page. Yes. And listeners, please follow up with your PCP after a hospital stay for sure. Yes, please. <laughs> and you are supposed to do it every year, but as we age, isn't it twice a year? So what's your thoughts on that? It depends on what medical conditions a patient has. I always tell my patients, you know, I would love to see all my patients every three months. Um, But if you have issues getting to the the clinic or um, things like that, then there's always ways that we can work with you, whether that's home visits or stretching out visits longer, um, whatever that may be. But I would say twice a year um, at minimum. Okay. Okay. Over the age of 65. Yes. Okay. Yes, I know, everyone. We keep using 65. Sorry for those of you who are so close. But it it is. I mean, that's when Medicare starts. I mean, this is kind of when things change. Right. We just got to embrace it, wrap your arms around it, and be okay (laughs) with it. So you you said something that really caught me off guard. 150 over 90. Mm -hmm. So I did not know this. So your blood pressure increases as you age. Yeah, absolutely. So when we age, our our vessels tend to harden. Calcium slowly kind of leaks out of our bones and goes to our vessels and they, they become stiffer. 
with age. And, and what that means is that your heart has to pump a little bit harder to, to get you know, your blood to circulate through those stiffer vessels. Um, and that will just naturally increase the blood pressure with age. So that's why in the what's interesting about blood pressure is different academies have different definitions. So the cardiologist, some listeners may be, well, my doctor told me less than 130 over 80. And that that is true in some people that have cardiovascular conditions. And that's the American College of Cardiology's goal for all patients, regardless of age. My academy still stands by what's known as the JNC8 guideline for blood pressure, um, which at the age of 60, 150 over 90. So even then, we we as doctors don't even really agree on what the definition of high blood pressure is. So that's why it gets so messy with these types of things. Well, and a lot of times, you know, physicians are prescribing, you know, medicine to get Mm -hmm. your blood pressure lower. Right. And then sometimes it's really low, you know, and then you're like, is that healthy? Exactly. So it's definitely something you're watching and looking at to manage. Right. For sure. So I I did find it interesting too on the medications. And I do think listeners, a geriatric physician is really important. Like you were mentioning the the beers list because there are medications and I'm just going to say it because I'm I'm not a doctor and Mm -hmm. I know this because I worked in pharmacy, but Haldol Mm -hmm. was a medication on the beers list. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think it's used quite a bit to control maybe some behaviors and to sedate a patient a little bit. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a physician, but, but I know for sure that med is on the beers list yes. and it is and a cause used. of concern and right. it's used quite frequently. So listeners, when, when you see or hear that med specifically, you can just say, you know, is that necessary for the situation right, right now since my dad is 85 or whatever exactly. the case might be? What I will say, and that's such a beautiful point, because that is one of my pet peeves as well, um, are the use of antipsychotics for, and it's particularly in patients with dementia with behavioral disturbances. And what I will say about that is that's actually um, the um, geriatric society that we, they, they recommend not doing that unless it is a last resort. So that the only time that I think it's appropriate to use those is if the patient's becoming a danger to themselves or others. Um, but redirecting people and these interventions that are non pharmacologic are much more powerful and much more beneficial. So I would absolutely agree. We need to not, um, only as a last resort, should an antipsychotic be used in, a, in an elderly patient. Very interesting, because there are a lot of nursing homes, too, right. that have um, physicians that go in and visit patients, and these poor residents who mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. are on all of these medications. And that's what I used to service was the nursing homes. That's it's probably where hard. that 15 meds or more came in. And you want to be an advocate for your loved one. Right. And this is the way you can be. Right. And a, and a medication evaluation, like you said, through right. your PCP to me is so critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you ever have concerns or, or, or want that done, you can ask for that anytime. And I'm going to add... If for some reason you have a difficult time getting that that to happen, I've done this before, gone to a pharmacy, CVS, oh, yeah. the consultation, just stand in the consultation line and say, can I please speak to a pharmacist? Review my meds. Can you look at my medications? Is there any contraindications on that? Meaning something that doesn't work with another medication because some doctors might not know you are on whatever. Exactly. So this is an opportunity. There's CVS, there's Walgreens, they're all over. Why not just stop in? Right. That's the easiest thing. And your pharmacist is a member of your healthcare team. So I absolutely, that that's another, you know, person that can help us, you know, exactly. maybe reduce some medicines. Well, Dr. Catherine Cox's phone number again, if you want to grab your piece of paper and pencil, is 248-650-6301. 
Thank You're you so listening much. to the Patriot FM 101.5 AM 1400. This is Wendy Jones, and you're listening to The Patriot, FM 101.5, AM 1400. Welcome back to Next Steps for Seniors, Preparing for Tomorrow Today. And as you know, our topic has been our primary care physician with Dr. Katherine Cox. And every segment has been fascinating, and I know we've all learned so much. I know I've already learned a lot. As we transition into this last segment, I think we're really going to focus on dementia, because Mm -hmm. it is one of the... I'm going to just say prevalent, right? Yes. We, we hear it. We see it. We we're fear witnessing it. it we <laughs> fear it. And we need to talk about it. Absolutely. And that's what I love to do on this program is talk Absolutely. about the things nobody wants to talk right. about. It's so, so important. So tell us, I mean, you see a lot of this. I really do. And I, I will say I've. Um, it's interesting just in the last couple of years how dramatically it's increased for me in my practice, the patients that are, are, are suffering from dementia. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this today. And one of the biggest things is the family, Absolutely. right? Because not just being aware of it, but what to do. Right. Um, caregiving for patients with dementia, I think, is one of the hardest jobs um, known to man. So shout out to anybody out there that has caregived or is caregiving currently for a patient with dementia. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly challenging for so many reasons. So is it true that the in dementia, the parts of the brain are actually deteriorating? Right, correct. Right. So we think the, the, the process is an accumulation of, of um, plaques of this protein known as amyloid that, that we're working um, on medicines to kind of target this. But the reality is, is that the treatments that we have available are not great. So things like Aricept and Namenda, um, they can help delay progression of um, the cognitive impairment portion by about six months to a year and a half. Um, so we do testing, standardized testing to kind of look at the d- degree of cognitive impairment in all realms of, of um, memory. So not just think like visual, um, numerical, things like that. We go through all of those things. And that's something that can be done by with your primary care doctor. There are also, you know, people that, that specialize in this in the neurology world. But the definition of dementia is when you have a mild cognitive impairment that has been determined by one of these formal testing uh, modalities that we can easily do in any office, and then the loss of ADLs or IADLs. So these are patients that are no longer able to pay their bills on time or take their medications the right way. And that, by definition, is what dementia is. That's very good because a lot of people are questioning, right? You know, if you lose your phone, it's you don't have dementia. Right. This is, <laughs> these are things that happen and every that's, day. That's the hard part, right? And and I have a lot of patients that come to me distressed because they're starting to um, forget, you know, names or where you left your keys. These are parts. These can be parts of normal aging, and how we can discern that is is by doing these formal testing. My personal favorite is the Montreal Cognitive Assessment or the the MOCA form. That's the one that I use. But there's um, there's a few of them that um, different doctors can use, and that will give you a degree of what's known uh, uh, if you score um, what degree of cognitive impairment, if any, that you have. And then if you should start one of those meds that you mentioned. Right. So that, and they, they do have lots of side effects. So that's why, what I do grapple with. But unfortunately, it's just the best that we have right now. There are some things that are in uh, undergoing clinical trials that are exciting that I'm, I'm hopeful for our future. This is a very, very high area of research right now. Well, and you seem educated on it and you do a lot of research, you said, at your office. So yeah. this is a good, you're, you're talking to the right person, I guess, is what I'm saying, listeners. So if you do have questions, definitely call her office. You can go through this testing 
And why not have an answer? Why right. not? Why why keep thinking about it in your head but not doing something about it? Absolutely. And and with that, back to the caregivers because I think that that's oh that's such a, a special place in my heart because my sister and I are actually the primary caregivers for our grandparents who had dementia for about a year and a half, and it was just a very hard but also very beautiful experience. Um, so I'm very passionate about that and, and the things that caregivers can do. I recommend any caregiver, whether it's dementia, whether it's somebody for a chronic illness, have some type of support group that they can go and, and talk with people. I, I so wish that I'd done this. And when I was in medical school, it was a requirement for my um, neurology rotation to go to a dementia daycare caregiver support group. And it was truly one of the most incredible experiences um, to, to sit amongst these caregivers and hear their stories and the way that they're coping through. It was beautiful. And, and one thing that they taught me is that it's okay to prescriptively alter the truth or lie if, if that brings peace to, to your the to the person, right? I mean, the reality is, is that their short-term memory is, is, is not there. So the things that, that were said, or it's greatly, you know, debilitated. So the most important thing is to keep them peaceful. And, and it can be not as challenging of a process if they have peace, if they feel safe. What is um, distressing and, and, and hard about dementia is the paranoia um, and some of the behavioral disturbances that can then happen. And they can be so hard for, for the caregiver to experience. And I think just having um, a group where you have people that are going through something similar can be very healing. So the first was the support group, which Absolutely. is really important. The mm-hmm. second was definitely pay attention to yourself right. as a caregiver. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of and anyone it's else. Okay, to, Absolutely. to to lie, lie, and, <laughs> and spread the truth just a little bit. Yes, yeah, right. yes, it's okay if they if they say they want to go home. You're like okay, and you just ask them questions. Yeah. Don't say redirect. No, you're already, yeah. Redirect, yeah. Or if, for example, they um, uh, one part that can happen in the, the moderate to severe stage is, is visual hallucinations or, or per, um, paranoid delusions. So what you can do is um, escort people out, even if they're not really there, or um, you know whatever you need to do to bring peace to the patient um, is is okay. All right. Anything else for caregivers? Those were great. That's great advice. I would say one one book recommendation. I have a couple here, but one thing that I um, a very popular book is the thirty six hour day um, for people that are families that are navigating dementia diagnosis. That is a very dense book. It is an amazing book, but it is very dense and very technical. One of my favorites is a book known as Making Rounds with Oscar, which was written by a geriatrician um, out of Brown. And it's actually a story about a cat named Oscar who um, lives in a nursing home um, on the third floor. (laughs) And he would lay on people's beds. And what they found is that usually um, Oscar, who did not like to lay on, did not like to interact with um, humanity too much, but when he would, they would often pass away about 85% of the time within a day or so. So, um, but what this book does is it tells that story, but it also tells the story of dementia and what that is and what that process means and what that means for families and, and the patients that are that have dementia. Okay, I, I know that you're going to tell us we have to read the book, but so the cat would go mm-hmm. on the beds and then the people would pass within... right. It's it's so it's almost like he knew the yeah. cat knew what was happening. Right. Okay. This is amazing. I know. Oh my goodness. And then another thing that I'm also very passionate about are is 
connecting, I think, with the spirit of the person. That's why kids are so great with people with dementia, right? Because we're in animals, I think that they can really bond with someone's spirit. Um, there was a neurologist that I was a huge mentor to me um, back in Alabama, where I did medical school that his father had dementia, um, Alzheimer's disease, and he went to a dementia daycare and started painting. He had never painted in his life until he received his dementia diagnosis. And he made these incredible works of art that really kind of show you the progression of the illness. Um, and so he, wait, he never painted before. No, he was a sawmill worker, actually. Um, and he made, and they've been shown all over the world. And his son, who's now a neurologist, um, he wrote books, The Pocket Guide for Alzheimer's Caregivers, um, Finding Joy in Alzheimer's, and then also a book of his artwork um, by his father. And it's just, to me, that was such an incredible gateway into a way to connect with someone when they no longer can speak. You know, even when he couldn't speak anymore, he was still painting. And this is why this is all about embracing, yes. right? It's all about embracing this Absolutely. time. And making the best out of the situation. Right. And that's exactly what he did. And what a great story. Thank right. you for sharing that. That's an amazing example. Absolutely. The other thing, I, when I was in the hospital the other day visiting a patient, and they were sitting there watching TV, and I looked at him and I said, would you like some music? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Absolutely. He's like, I would love music. Yes. Like, bring in a recorder. Put on put it's music too on silent. the phone. <laughs> like, and, and have it be upbeat and fun. And, Absolutely. You know, I just, sitting in a bed watching TV to me, especially now, let's not even watch TV. There's too right. much going on we don't need to see. Absolutely. Oh, even yeah. in the later stages at, at, in facilities or dementia daycares, that, that's the primary mode in, in the when there's no longer verbal and things like that is, is the music. Music really. is phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a lot of great things we've talked about. We only have Amen. a few minutes left in the program. <laughs> Tell us what your number one takeaway is for listeners. If they're just tuning into the program today, what do you want them to know? I want everybody to have a primary care physician that they trust. I think that is the most important thing that anyone can do for their health. My takeaway, and I think this is very important when we talked about the advanced direction, mm -hmm. uh, end of life, the CPR thing we talked about, my thing is Ask your doctor to be transparent with you. Yes. If you, patient, open up the door to your physician and say, just be transparent with me. What's really going on? Tell me, tell me what I need to know. Is my husband, is my husband dying? Right. Like, just ask him. Absolutely. Because if you are transparent and you are saying, please talk to me, your physician will. Because you mentioned in the beginning, it's a very touchy topic. That We're not is, good at it. We're not good at telling people that they're dying. But there's a book out there we wanted to tell people about. Yes, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, which we've actually both read. I love that. It is an incredible, um, incredible book by Dr. Gawande, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon out of Harvard. I think it's a phenomenal book. It's a must read. Absolutely. And I definitely feel like this is a time that we need to know before someone goes. Let's have the conversation so you can embrace the time right. and be with family and friends. What a great, thank you for what you do Absolutely. every day. Thank we you for having me. We appreciate you. God bless you. You've been listening to this week's edition of Next Steps for Seniors with your host, Wendy Jones. You can reach Wendy with any questions you have at area 248-651-5010. That's 248-651-5010. Join us again next week as Wendy provides more information and resources for those important next steps for your elderly parent or loved one.